Okay, Dr. Philip, the American Psychiatric Association outlines common reactions following a disaster like a mass school shooting, Mm. including Mm -hmm. changes in sleep, mood changes, decreased energy, changes in appetite, problems concentrating, headaches, or other body pains, and increased isolation. Children can also be hugely affected with developing issues such as temper tantrums and getting into more fights or having trouble with schoolwork. So why do children suffer different symptoms, it seems, compared to adults? Well, actually, children have a developing uh, brain. You know, the brain only gets fully developed by the age of 18 to about 20. So there are many things that they need to deal with that are very different from adults. They may not be able to, you know, identify or uh, have the language for emotions and feelings. And so they show a lot of this in their behavior. And that's why... Very often, children who may experience depression or anxiety may actually exhibit behavioral problems like temper tantrums or get into arguments and fights and become, you know, very uh, disruptive or even, you know, have problems with their performance in their schoolwork. Mm -hmm. So most of their symptoms are very different from adults. Adults may be able to express and talk about their emotions and feelings, which children may find difficult to do. So uh, basically, we're all acting on adults and children. It's just how it manifests itself. Is, it looks different. Yeah, depending on the level of maturity mm. and depending on the development of the brain. Yeah, but I've seen adults act out. I was just going to say how many times temper tantrums, right? yeah. you know, yeah. whilst the child sits there quietly watching <laughs> yeah, right? on, learning yeah. how Who's to Who's the do adult it? here? Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, I suppose the bigger question is, are victims of situations like this able to heal completely? Or is it something that they're going to have to manage for the rest of their life. Because it's slightly PTSD-ish in Mm. a way. Yeah, I mean, going through a traumatic event doesn't necessarily mean you're traumatized for the rest of your life. People do actually recover. There have been people who've gone through serious traumatic events in their lives and they're still able to cope with things. But it all depends on certain different factors. I mean, how resilient you are, what sort of mental health uh, you know, buffers that you engage in regularly? Uh, what are your support networks and systems? And what do you do immediately after the history of the trauma? You know, seeking help, being able to talk to people, uh, making lifestyle changes and dealing with, you know, your own mental health and physical health. All of these are important in determining whether the traumatic event is going to be something that haunts you, you know, through your life later on. Mm. or whether you can actually get up and move on. Good morning, Dr. Philip. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're good. We've got some pretty heavy uh, topics to discuss today. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay, Here we go. go. In our first article, states a rise in anti-Asian American hate crimes may lead to a mental health crisis. A growing body of research suggests that experiencing such aggression can have serious mental health impacts. Now, it's a story out of America, but how do the rises in these hate crimes affect our mental health? Well, actually, it's really sad to hear about this, and I'm sure we are all hoping for common sense to prevail Mm. and the respect for each individual regard regardless of their race, religion, or creed is honored. That's got to be anywhere and everywhere in the world. After all, there's actually more that is common than different from one human being to another. A study published in the Ethnic and Racial Studies found that Asian Americans who encountered COVID-19-related discrimination experienced higher levels of anxiety and depression. 
And another review of 121 studies found that youth who experienced discrimination were more likely to develop chronic mental health problems. You know, we know that when an individual experiences racial trauma, it can actually lead to many mental health issues like you know, increase anxiety, depression, mm. trouble eating and sleeping. The problem is Asian Americans already have some of the highest rates of depression and suicide. Really? And, wow, okay. yep, and we're less likely to seek help compared to other racial groups. The other issue is these groups often fall into that minority myth model which stereotypes them like a compliant group that succeeds in general right. and are not in need of extra help or mm -hmm. attention. Mm -hmm. But this is actually far from the truth, as there are many experiencing unemployment or living in poverty and having hardships through this whole pandemic as well. Mm. I suppose also a big um I guess thing that's stopping them obstacle is the culture thing for for Asians to seek help is completely foreign concept, taboo, right? right? Yes, yes, the taboo and the prejudice and stigma. Mm. So, with trauma like this and and sort of um, hate like this against a sort of kind of peoples, um, what would you say, Dr. Philip, about sort of you know? sowing the seeds of generational trauma that will come out of this. Yeah, so actually race trauma is due to exposure to racist abuse or discrimination. It can affect your sense of self-worth and, uh, you know, lead to all sorts of disorders, psychological or even physical. You don't need to experience this firsthand to feel traumatized. You know, you can mm. actually watch it on news reports mm. or witness prejudice among against your friends, family, or neighbors, mm. you know, or, you know, be subjected to the distressing litanies of some political leaders that can cause racial trauma as well. Not only does racism trigger mental health problems, but it can also add barriers to getting help. A famous sociologist actually suggests the factors for increased racial trauma, you know, globalization, instant worldwide communication with uh, the internet, easy mobility of populations, and these coupled with current global economic slowdown, growing social inequality and the pandemic actually contribute to the hate crimes. I think the important thing is tolerance in the light of all pressures. That's really essential. And it's got to be part and parcel of you know, our teaching and understanding. Right. In this article, it's all about video games. So while some <laughs> yeah. believe that video games and online games in general can harm your emotional and mental health, others cite very many positive reasons that games can enhance your cognitive abilities, improve your dexterity and develop problem solving skills and play skills can be used well in the outside world. Mm. So back when we were kids and actually still now, you know, our parents and people older, you know, would never have let us play video games. Are you or, kidding? My mom still doesn't let me play video games Right, now. or have some opinion on video games being <laughs> negative. So what's changed that's made these video games an aid to, I suppose, mental well-being? Well, the jury is still out there. I mean, video <laughs> games can be beneficial for some aspects of mental health, mm. like building an autonomy, competence. And in those who, you know, where you're playing with others, a sense of connectedness, perhaps. Video gaming is a very popular leisure and it's among all ages now. It's known to have some psychological benefits, but it also may come with costs when it's used heavily. Mm. You know, by spending a predominant part of the day gaming, you know, excessive video gamers are actually at risk of lower educational career attainment and then problems with peers and lower social skills. 
Right. So the degree of addictive video game, you know, has also been found to be related to personality traits like low self-esteem, uh, low self-efficacy and anxiety and aggression, right. and even to clinical symptoms of depression and anxiety. You know, I think uh, we need to be cautious about how much we're actually engaging it because in the ICD-11, that is going to be launched soon, mm -hmm. the International Classification of Disorders. Yeah. It includes internet gaming disorder as a mental health condition. Wow, okay. But that's an addiction though, isn't it? Because a little bit of gaming is good. What well, what's a little bit? There was the arbitrary yeah. number of a little bit yeah. versus, you know, is my son playing for 15 hours a problem? <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. So there's actually a figure that's come out by one of the... Uh, groups that did some research in gaming and they looked at two to three hours per day as being acceptable but anything more uh, already maybe having you know the risk of impacting on the individual's you know, psyche and other development issues. This article is about the COVID pandemic shining a light on the ongoing and very scary decline in young people's mental health. Mm. Psychologists have warned if we don't start to address the mental health emergency of young people's anxiety and depression, it may become a transgenerational disaster. First of all, what does transgenerational disaster mean? Well, it cuts across all generations. So, you know, what happens to a younger generation uh, is definitely going to have an impact in later years as they become the older generation. So, yeah, I think we sometimes neglect and, you know, don't actually consider this when we actually develop resources for people as well. Yeah, so that means basically everyone's going to look back on a youth of 2020 or 2021 and then, yeah, they yeah. were affected. You can actually see it. Like yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, after the World War, you actually identified new disorders in different people, mm. you know, and uh, conditions and challenges that they had mm. to encounter. And we sort of addressed those maybe too late, you know, when everything was uh, surfacing. But mm. we can actually pay attention to this right now and identify what the things, what, what are the things that we need to address among those who are experiencing this currently. Were there any sort of, I don't know, facts or data that came about from other huge pandemics like, you know, the Spanish flu or other plagues? Was there anything that came out from sort of, you know, bad moments in our history where we've had something of a similar level to sort of use or even help? Yeah, well, I think through the years uh, in periods of disaster, uh, <clears throat> there have been uh, some suggestion that rates of mental health disorders uh, were on the rise. Uh, but suicide seemed to reduce, which was very different from what we currently see right. with this pandemic. So in terms of disasters like related to war, people become more cohesive and there seems to be a little bit more support but in terms of a pandemic like this, it doesn't seem to have the same similar effect. So I don't think we can generalize. Uh, and we don't have you know, information about effects on youth. But actually evidence already emerges that you know, those uh, age of 14, half of mental disorders are already occurring by the age of 14. You know, and uh, 75% by the age of 24. So how have um, the minds of our youth been affected by this pandemic? Yeah, so I think UNICEF actually did a survey of more than 8,000 youth and found that 
27% report feeling anxious and 15% uh, reported feeling depressed in the last seven days. For 30%, the main reason influencing the current emotions is actually the economic situation. You know, their daily lives were also affected and 46% reported having less motivation to do activities that you usually enjoyed. 36% felt less motivated to even do regular chores. So there was a general pessimism about their own futures, but girls seem to outnumber boys in terms of the pessimism uh, sort of feeling. This article, very close to my own heart, is about burnout. <laughs> okay. Or simply an inability to perform a job is one manifestation of stress, which occurs when work pressure exceeds an employee's ability to cope. Stress can also show itself as physical symptoms or mental illness, such as anxiety or depression. Dr. Philip, what are the signs of burnout that we might have burnout? Yeah, so burnout is a reaction to prolonged or chronic job or home stress. And it's characterized by three main areas, exhaustion, cynicism, you know, and uh, feelings of reduced ability. Burnout is not a disease, but it surely can lead to common <laughs> medical and mental health issues. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm looking at JD's face and he's suddenly going tick, tick, yeah. tick, tick. <laughs> I can see him next to me. Sorry, carry on, doctor. Carry on. Yep, sure. So uh, burnout is not a disease, but can surely lead to common medical and mental health issues like hypertension, diabetes, peptic ulcer, chronic pain, depression, anxiety, and even suicide. Signs actually can be divided into a few different areas. There are physical signs like feeling tired and drained most of the day, lowered immunity causing frequent illnesses, frequent headaches or muscle pains, and changes in appetite or sleep. What about uh, sort of stomach um, problems and gut issues? Yeah, yep, absolutely. It can actually trigger Stop good. Stop pointing it out. Symptoms. My God. Okay, she's just, okay don't, worry, don't worry about that. Dr. I'm trying to help you oh, here. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Uh, so what are the what other signs are there? <laughs> moving on. Yes, moving on. Then there are emotional signs like a sense of failure, self-doubt, feeling helpless and trapped and defeated, detached and feeling alone in the world, using food, drugs or alcohol to cope, you know, so some people comfort eat and then taking out your frustration on others like, you know, skipping work or coming in late or even leaving early. Man, I'm not burnt out. I mm. have none of, I, in fact, I come in earlier than anybody else. How that doesn't you, mean that you're not burnt out just because you yeah, come earlier right, than right, everybody okay. else. I suppose, yeah. How often do you visit the toilet? Um, Rarely. Rarely. Rarely, okay. Dr. Philip, what mm. can we do to recover quickly if we kind of recognize, oh, I may be burning out before yeah. the burnout becomes an even bigger, more serious mm-hmm. issue? Well, actually, it's a three-stage thing three-stage process to help prevent burnout. First, recognize the symptoms. They usually start subtle with those changes in the behavior, like when you're usually sociable and humorous, and now you suddenly become socially withdrawn, or when you start having difficulty making decisions. So any change in behavior is an indication that you are maybe at that dividing line between just normal pressure and burnout. Then we need to discover what is triggering the symptoms. So do a reflection, do an audit, and then finally plan a strategy and take action. You don't just sit back and wait things to happen to you, you know, or I hope this will change, or I hope, you know, my boss gets a transfer. Because if you don't (laughs) take action... You could have a heart attack before your boss gets a transfer, right? You will continue to get ill Mm. and more seriously ill. So reevaluate also your buffers, 
take breaks and discuss your issues, you know, with your boss or therapist. If your boss is your therapist, then good luck. But essentially avoid <laughs> the you, status quo. 